From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. In the upcoming election, California voters will have their say on several ballot propositions. And while civil rights and criminal justice make their usual appearance, there are some fundamental questions California voters will be asked to decide, such as whether commercial property should be taxed differently than residential property, and whether gig workers should be treated as employees or independent contractors. We'll ask Ben Christopher with Cal Matters to give us the details and the background behind each of the ballot propositions. Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world, California Emerging Technology Fund, and Fresno State, where bold begins. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Era Energy LLC, BNSF Railway, E&J Gallo Winery, and Harris Ranch and Inn. Thank you. As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way we approach a lot of things, perhaps no more so than in education. Our guest is Sydney Johnson with EdSource, perhaps the most authoritative source on K-12 education in California. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So California has uh, really made, really pushed online learning. Um, how many students have been affected? So without an exact figure of how many students are still without connectivity, um, we know that there are still hundreds of thousands of students that still either don't have devices or don't have internet access to their homes. Um, the most recent figure that the California Department of Education has shared is 700,000 students. Um, that's roughly 10% of California's 6 million student population. So a significant portion. Um, one of the biggest issues contributing to that right now is that there's an enormous backlog globally of devices. So it's yeah. not so much a lack of effort to get these devices um, or, or, you know, a willingness to purchase them. But actually, you know, there's 300,000 Chromebooks that are on back order from manufacturers. No, I was going right to ask you that. I mean, how has it been, how's it been going with the school district? Is it, um, is it going smoothly? Um, how's the online experience going? It's it's totally a mix. Um, some school districts that were able to kind of get up and going last spring um, quickly have had maybe a little bit more of a smoother transition. Um, I've actually had the privilege to sit in some of these classes and and some teachers are, are really getting the hang of it. Um, that said, it is a struggle, I think, for just about everyone involved. Um, and knowing that there's still so many students just without the basic tools to log in um, has really meant that distance learning is not even an option for some students still. So it really varies by geography, um, by resources that your school has available already. Um, we're really seeing a mix, um, as well as just what distance learning looks like. You know, there's some schools that are doing hybrid schedules where cohorts of students will go in for a couple days, um, and then another cohort will go in a few days. Um, and then you have other schools that are just doing completely virtual. So yeah, it's interesting, you know, because we, we, at the university, um, we're using obviously we're online, and I was never a real positive about about online. Um, but I actually find that it actually makes me maybe even better because I can use technology as a way to kind of um, 
you know, do a better job with, with my students. So I want to, you know, ask you though, there are some teachers that are, that are highly resistant to, to online teaching and uh, they're worried about the, being physically in a classroom. And there's been a bit of a backlash regarding that. What's, what's the concern among teachers? Yeah, I, I did a story on this recently, actually. There were several protests that started um, around the state where school districts were saying teachers had to uh, conduct distance learning from their classroom. Um, now, don't get me wrong, there are several teachers, not several, but probably thousands of teachers that want to be in the classroom, so they have access to their materials, more stable Wi-Fi. Um, but uh, a lot of teachers, especially those who have some sort of pre-existing medical condition, were saying, what's the point of distance learning if we have to maybe expose ourselves more when we're on campus? Um, you know, what do we do with our own kids who are at home? Um, so there was a lot of pushback to just that requirement of teachers having to show up on campus. Um, a lot of the districts that I was reporting on for this story have actually gone back on that policy now and have given teachers the choice. If they want to go on campus for some reason, that's an option. They can do distance learning from the classroom for those who are, you know, maybe less comfortable with that. Um, they can do it from home for now. Yeah, it's, it's obviously been, been a big issue. And the other thing, too, is caregivers, right? I mean, some of these mm -hmm. teachers, not just their children, but they're maybe caring for their parents and they're concerned about bringing something home to an elderly parent. And, and then that becomes an issue. I assume that in a lot of districts, that's going to be something that's going to be bargained between the teachers union and the, and the school district. Um, so based on your reporting here, we've got about 30 seconds left. I want to ask you about your, your impressions of how this experiment on online instruction, uh, what has it re really revealed, if anything? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's really revealed that online learning or ed tech is really just a tool. You know, it can never replace the act and the art of teaching, uh, you know, in person or, you know, with humans. Um, the best examples that I've seen are teachers who are really taking advantage of this online medium and doing things that they maybe wouldn't be able to do in person. Um, and also showing that building relationships with families, with parents is going to be huge going forward um, and has always been in education. But now that's really the key to student success. Um, the other thing that I'll add is just it's revealed how much work we have to do around student privacy. A lot of um, districts are kind of rushing into deals with providers and, and um, you know, really jumping into new ed tech agreements. Um, but, you know, yeah, Zoom, Zoom had its own issues along that, that exactly. line as well. well. Well, I want to thank uh, Cindy Johnson of EdSource. Great uh, place. We can look for information for K-12 education in California. Up next, uh, we're going to talk with someone who's tasked with implementing distance learning. What do they think? And that person is going to be the California Teachers Association president, Toby Boyd. Welcome to the Matter Report. Thank you for having me. So, so what is the consensus out there among teachers about online uh, classes, uh, better or worse than in person? Well, um, my educators are naturally, they want to do the obvious thing and be back in front of their students because they understand that that is the best way to engage and to educate our students. But that's not what the world we're living in right now. We're living in a virtual world because we have to make sure it's safe for our students, for the educators to go back into the classroom. So until that happens, we are where we are. And that's, that's exactly where we are. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a brave new world for sure. Um, and with 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 COVID, it, it really is 
whole pushing this whole idea of distance learning, it's accelerated. It was already happening, but it's certainly accelerated uh, pretty tremendously. So what are the teacher's biggest concerns when it comes to distance learning? Uh, there's several. Um, it's health and safety of our students. As I continue, I will continue to preach and say is that that is the number one priority. The other concern is it's actually connecting with all of our students. It's it's closing that digital divide that's there, that's evident, that's present, that we have to make sure that we um, work on to make sure that the, the most vulnerable students, the, the students of color, the black, browns, um, the natives have what they need in order to connect with the educators. That's, that's one of the most concerning things that we have. So um, if, if, if anything, that's, you know, we are worried about that because we understand that that not necessarily everyone has the idea of learning um, situation at home when they're there. Yeah, one of the things I'm seeing is that it, it's, it's not so much the devices are an issue for sure, but it's the connectivity that's a really big issue. Well, I mean, because a lot of, I mean, a third of our students are still without devices. And then if you t add on to that, the bandwidth and the connectivity that's missing, I mean, that is, that makes the number even larger. But again, it's disproportionate in the black and brown communities, also the rural communities. So we can't forget about them because they may not have the infrastructure out there. Yeah, and, and I, th I think that, you know, that's certainly true in places like the San Joaquin Valley, uh, where you have, you know, both uh, black and brown people and, uh, you know, obviously uh, rural communities. But I want to ask you about, um, you know, some of the concerns, the concerns about teachers' health. I wanted to just follow up on that. You know, there are a lot of teachers out there, frankly, that are my age or, or older, um, that are concerned about what COVID might mean for them. They might be taking care of a parent. Uh, you know, it's not just, you know, it's, students obviously very important, but but also the transmission to the teachers. Isn't that an issue for, for teachers? Yes, it is. And that's a concern because the science is still out. We don't really know the exact proportion of our students and, and what the impact is. We do know, however, that children 11 and above actually have increased in, in positivity rates by 150%. So that is outrageously high. So then if you take that into account, if they come into the classroom and the educator has a, a parent or a, a multi-generational um, household, that could possibly be affected by it, then that, that's our concern. Which is, which is truer and truer these days, right? Where, where, yes. where people are taking care of their parents. Um, yes. well, let me ask and you just, this. And just yesterday, real quick, there was an incident up in the foothills about a student coming into the classroom and having tested positive for COVID. And now the educator and the students in the whole classroom are being quarantined. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah it can have a big effect. Let me ask you this, though. There's, there's some that argue that teaching from a classroom has its advantage. So let's say things like better Wi-Fi connections, uh, better tech support, um, you know, better access to classroom materials. It, it gives students more of a feel of, you know, really being in school by being in a physical location or in the teacher broadcasting from, from a classroom. What, what are your thoughts on that? I feel that my educators are able to teach from whatever location they're in. If, if they have the tools at home, and most of them do, they will, they will be just as effective at home as it is with them in the classroom. And plus, we have to remember that some of our educators have children at home themselves, and right. they are in doing the distance learning too. So we have to take that into an account too. Well, let me ask you one last thing. We've only got about 30 seconds left. I wanna ask okay. you real quickly um, about the public policy 
you'd like to see changed maybe to make uh, distance learning better for everyone? Well, one, we need more funding, and that's the key. So part of the thing is that we have CTA and the coalition has Proposition 15 on the ballot. That's Schools and Communities First Initiative. That's going to bring money into the coffers of, of the schools. But we also need the HEROES Act to be passed from the federal government, which will help state, local, and school districts because we are short on funding. And that's what it is. And then we need to also think about new revenue um, streams that we can bring in from the state. That's going to be an ongoing discussion for sure. Thank yes, you very much for, 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 for joining us today. So what's the state doing to make distance learning more accessible and more effective? We're fortunate to have an expert join us. Amy Lee is a fiscal and policy analyst specializing in education issues with the nonpartisan legislative analyst office. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thank you for having me. So what actions has the governor taken to ensure that local school districts are able to improve distance learning and broadband connections? Well, in early March, the governor issued an executive order requiring public schools closed due to COVID to continue offering instruction. Primarily, this meant distance learning, which was a rather new forefront for most K-12 schools. So in response to some of these challenges, the governor required the California Department of Education to work with other state agencies to issue guidance, addressing key questions such as, what does effective distance learning look like? What are the best practices? What resources are available to help support this? Now, in terms of connecting students to the internet, the governor announced various partnerships with private organizations that had agreed to donate laptops, hotspot devices, or discounted internet service. He also directed $30 million in available state funds to help partially offset costs for student technology. Yeah, so the, the state legislature also has a role to play here. What have they done uh, to kind of improve distance learning and, and broadband capabilities? Yep, that's right. So the state legislature, in working with the governor, provided additional funding for distance learning in the 2021 state budget. But with that came additional expectations. So for instance, the budget package establishes the requirements for distance learning, in essence, defining what distance learning is. This definition includes, among other activities, content that is substantially equivalent to in-person instruction, daily live interaction between teachers and students, providing appropriate learning supports for English learners, students with disabilities, and other student subgroups. Now, to help ensure that these requirements are being met, school districts are required to adopt what we call a learning continuity and attendance plan by September 30th. In this plan, districts will explain their approach to distance learning. How will they ensure that students have connectivity and have access to devices? How will they ensure connect, uh, in continuity and in instruction, whether that be through distance learning or in person? And what professional development opportunities will they offer teachers to help with remote teaching? Now, the intent here is by making districts go through the process of developing a plan, getting community feedback, districts will be more prepared to offer distance, ideally, distance learning, ideally. Not only that, but districts can be held accountable to their plan. In yeah, terms of, is, is this is different than the LCAP? So it's it's different from, from the LCAP, uh, which is the local control and accountability plan. That is typically what districts have to fill on an annual basis to clarify how they're, how they're spending state funding for education. Um, this year, because of the distance learning environment, we're actually substituting the, the traditional LCAP with the, distance, with the learning continuity and attendance plan. Um, and the intent here is really that by making districts go through the process of developing a plan and getting community feedback, districts are more prepared to offer distance learning. But um, not only that, districts can be held accountable to this plan, very similar to the LCAP. Now, in terms of, yes. No, no I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. 
Um, in terms of funding for distance learning, the budget provides districts $5.3 billion for the Learning Loss Mitigation Program. And most of this funding comes from the Federal CARES Act. This funding can be used on things such as laptops or hotspot devices and professional development to help support distance learning. And the allocation of this funding takes into consideration a district's special education, English learner, and low-income student populations. Now, the last thing I want to mention is the state budget also included some funding to develop statewide guidance for distance learning in the subjects of math, English language arts, and English language development. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at what, you know, the different Senate bills, you had $1 billion uh, in terms of the COVID response. Uh, a lot of it's going to education. You've got $100 million out of Prop 98 money. Uh, they're putting a lot of money in this. I'm just, it seems to me this is going to be it's, it's kind of a new frontier. I mean, I don't think this is distance learning isn't going anywhere. It sounds like it's it's going to be around post pandemic. Sure, sure looks that way. Let me ask. So, so you talked a little bit about the federal government. Um, what are they doing in addition to the CARES Act? Uh, can you go a little, talk a little bit about that, what they're doing? Well, the most of the federal government's response to COVID as it relates to K-12 education has come through the CARES Act itself, uh, which was enacted in late March. As I previously mentioned, uh, the bulk of the $5.3 billion for the Learning Loss Mitigation Program was one-time CARES Act funding. And the CARES Act also provided $1.5 billion one-time in grants to schools here in California, which could be spent on distance learning, technology for students, staff training, among other activities. Yeah, so, you know, there's when you're talking, give us this explanation. Our audience clearly knows why we have the LAO on on a regular basis, because you guys really are on top of what's going on. I want to thank Amy Lee for that conversation on, on what the state and, and the federal government's doing in terms of, of, of this issue. K-12 education has gone to tra undergone a transformational change as a result of distance learning. How do we make sure that the digital divide doesn't exacerbate our, our current achievement gap? Our guest is Sonny McPeak, the president and CEO of the California Emerging Technologies Fund, a fund that's leading the effort to close that digital divide. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you, Mark. It's great to join you. So, you know, we talk about recent studies. They found that there's a pretty big disparity in uh, educational impact of distance learning on major racial and, and ethnic subgroups and income levels. What is the California Emerging Technology Fund doing to address those disparities? We are both addressing the policy challenge that you just identified uh, with our representatives in Sacramento, we're working with the California Department of Education to uh, raise the issue to the uh, internet service providers. And we operate a major initiative called School to Home with the purpose of closing both the achievement gap as well as the digital divide. So, you know, you have a lot of experience, obviously, uh, in, in state government, not, not only are you from the Valley, but you were the Secretary of Business, Transportation, Housing in the Schwarzenegger administration, the literally the biggest state agency. Um, so you know how to maneuver through the bureaucracy. What policies and programs are you specifically advocating, not just at the state level, but maybe if at the federal and local level as well? As you know very well, and it is so highlighted in the San Joaquin Valley, the digital divide is just another manifestation of the economic divide and the opportunity divide. And those who are digitally disadvantaged are also disadvantaged in every other way. The pandemic has uh, highlighted not just the digital divide, but I call it the digital cliff. People are falling off into deeper poverty, greater isolation. And we've got a challenge that is sort of twofold. One is, in rural regions, rural communities such as the San Joaquin Valley, there's not adequate infrastructure 
in order to actually support distance learning. So we are working to get additional uh, investment from the state through the California Advanced Services Fund. Uh, we are working with our policymakers. There was a big battle that just finished in the legislature uh, at midnight on August 31. We'll have to go back and get that done well. The governor has called for broadband for all. He did it at the economic summit uh, statewide in Fresno on November 8th. So he's leading this, this initiative called broadband for all, but we've got to get money into it. And then secondly, we've actually got to get the internet service providers to make available affordable offers for low-income households that has adequate speeds and adequate data to support distance learning and telehealth, by the way. Well, in, in some ways, this actually could be a positive for the Valley, right? If we can get you know, the, the digital divide closed in the Valley, it makes the, the lower cost of living in the Valley attractive to, to businesses, maybe to think about moving from the Bay Area to, to the Valley. You are so right. And as you know, when I did work for the state, um, the Valley asked the Schwarzenegger administration and the legislature to focus on the San Joaquin Valley, establish the partnership for the San Joaquin Valley. And uh, we actually highlighted the San Joaquin Valley as the promise uh, of the future of California, which is indeed true. As a Valley girl, farm girl, uh, I just love the San Joaquin Valley. If we have adequate infrastructure that is high speed, it can support our residents working from everywhere uh, in the Valley throughout, not just California, but the rest of the country and world, and we will attract more capital investment. So we're working with CSU Fresno, Eduardo Gonzalez and the San Joaquin Valley Broadband Consortium. We're gonna attract, our goal is to get about $43 million of investment in the next year committed to the San Joaquin Valley for infrastructure. So that's pretty significant, you know. And, and the California partnership, which which you led for a while, has had had its impact. It still has an impact going forward. But we have got about ten seconds left, real quickly. Um, what can Central Valley school districts do to gain better access to broadband and, and to laptop devices? They, they need to advocate for the investment of infrastructure. They need to demand from our policymakers in Sacramento that we support distance learning. Okay. Well, I want to thank Sonny McPeak for joining us. It's great seeing you again. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted every aspect of American life, perhaps none more than K-12 education. Our guests are among the Valley's top K-12 educators. We have Dr. Tamara Ravelin with the, the superintendent with Visalia Unified, Dr. Sarah Noguchi with the Modesto Unified School District, and Amir O'Farrell, the superintendent of Clovis Unified School District. Welcome all of you to Valley Views. Thank you. So thank you so, thank you so much for being here. I know you guys are super busy. Uh, but let me ask you, start with uh, Superintendent Ravlin with uh, Visalia uh, Unified. You know, online learning has existed for a long time, um, but this sudden and dramatic shift to distance learning has certainly changed the K-12 educational landscape. What are some of the challenges and, and some of the, frankly, some of the opportunities you've seen in your district as a result? Well, thank you. That's a great question. Let me start with the opportunities, which are many. Um, we have just created a new way for teachers and students to learn together. And although it may be challenging to new learning material, um, teachers are finding different ways to connect with students that they have not been able to reach well before. Our teachers are creating videos and lessons that they'll be able to use for years in the future. And they're sharing with each other. They're sharing with their students, they're sharing with their colleagues, and more so they're creating a digital library for teachers around the world. So the sharing has really been impactful. Teachers are also starting to flip their classrooms more than they tried 
before. Some used to dabble in it so that they were teaching the uh, basic instruction. When you say, when you say full classroom, what do you mean by that? I mean, teaching the basics um, and the instructional part where the students aren't actively engaged prior to students coming to class. And so they're giving the basic instruction, having students watch videos. And then when the students come to class, they're more able to engage in inquiry, creative questioning, debate, experiments, collaborating together. So it's, it's created an opportunity for teachers to really rethink how they give information, how they portray information to their students, and giving more collaboration time to their students. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because we were talking offline and, and that was that's exactly frankly what I'm doing with my classes. You do the video lectures, which is kind of the nuts and bolts. I teach law and negotiation. So it gives them the nuts and bolts in that class. And then when you have the the, the regular class, it's really more of a seminar and it's it's you know, here's a fact pattern. How would you analyze it? It's just I find it actually adds value. There's some real value there. I want to ask uh, Superintendent uh, Noguchi at Modesto Unified, what, what, what do you see uh, in terms of the experience you've had with, with, with COVID-19? Well, you know, I think that, um, like was previously said, there's opportunities and there's challenges. Um, obviously, the, the opportunities are the way in which we are providing teaching and learning to kids, the way that we're collaborating um, as um, educators. Um, that is, a, there, There's much more opportunity for that. But it also comes with a lot of challenges. And I think um, the biggest challenge is really the social-emotional impact on our children, um, that being isolated from their teachers, their friends, their school staff. Uh, many of our families are living in homes that are traumatized, either through COVID-19 or economic um, crisis. And schools are really the hub and the place where they can get those supports and services where we can connect them with the community and community resources. So one of the challenges there is, is really looking for different ways to engage our parents and our families so we can make those connections, which again is an opportunity because we actually are, are finding new ways to do to have that engagement with our, our families. You know, one of the things that this has really brought out is how central to a community is, is the school district. It's just, you don't realize, oh, it's just, just teaching. No, no, it's, it's, you know, it's food, you know, for kids that, that need to eat. And uh, it's a social experience uh, for, for them for developing their socials because there's so much more involved than you're really seeing it now play out. So yeah. Superintendent O'Farrell, what about Clovis Unified? What have you seen as kind of the challenges and opportunities that uh, this pandemic has brought about? Well, I would echo what my bo both of my colleagues just mentioned about, uh, you know, there are certainly many opportunities. And I think that teachers and students and families are uh, discovering the potential of uh, online learning and the potential of technology in education. But I think more... Uh, more for us has been the uh, the challenges. Even though we have provided devices not to all of our kids, what, what we notice is that uh, that mind, body and spirit, that engagement of children in the education process, it's not just about the classroom. And what many of us know is that it's that sports program or that drama program or that music or, you know, the, the dances, gymnastics, whatever it is that uh, brings relevance and passion and engagement to our kids. That's a huge part that's missing right now. And I know many of us have, uh, I mean, I'll speak for ourselves here in Fresno County, we have um, our return to play program, which is, has brought kids back and they're engaged in small non-contact environments. But uh, my biggest concern is that, you know, what generally motivates a child to go into that 
biology class or that algebra class or that English class is the fact that they also know that they're going to be going to the swim class or the football class or the drama class as well. And so um, just a major concern is that big hole that's missing, uh, even as good as our, uh, you know, I, I I feel that our teachers are working, doing a tremendous job and our administrators, but even even if we were to do it perfectly, online learning misses, misses that, that piece there where the kids are engaged in co-curricular programs. Yeah, I mean, certainly could see that you, you can't have a sports program if, if you're not uh, doing it on the sports field, I suppose. But, you know, my daughter is in Clovis Unified and, and she is in, just started high school and, and is very interested in robotics. And so, uh, you know, that, that's another outlet um, for students as well. Some of the extracurricular stuff. It's very important. It's one of the reasons why, frankly, she wanted to stay in Clovis Unified. Uh, but let, let me kind of uh, transition here a little bit uh, and ask uh, Superintendent Naguchi with Modesto Unified about this kind of this whole issue we've been dealing with for some time. And that is the achievement gap, right? This, 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 these persistent disparities in educational performance by certain subgroups, um, typically defined by socioeconomic status or race and, race and ethnicity. Uh, the Valley has, you know, already has that, and like many school districts, uh, have this achievement gap. They've also got on top, the layer on top of that is this digital divide, uh, this gulf between access to computers and broadband um, that exists here even more than it exists in other parts of the state. Are you concerned that this move to distance learning, um, where we have such a digital divide, is just going to exacerbate the achievement gap? Well, I can say that the, the gaps certainly exist and poverty is one of those lead indicators. And as you know, the Central Valley, Modesto particularly has um, very high poverty. Um, but central to that digital gap is ensuring that we have internet and computers with each of our students. You know, this is one of the, the, the proud pieces of um, work that we have done in Modesto City. Prior to the school starting, we put out an auto dialer and a survey and it was determined that 4,900 uh, households did not have internet and it, it was really full court press you know working nights working weekends we retooled our, our employees our bus drivers our yard duties our paraprofessionals and it was everybody internet and and computer is is the name of the game right now i'm happy to say that um all of our kids now do have access so we have our kids um participating in distance learning through a learning management system called Schoology. So this way we can tr track who's coming on and who isn't. Um, last week, the average was 95.73%. I was actually at um, three schools last Friday and one of the schools, which is 100% poverty, uh, four of the classrooms I went in had the banner of 100% attendance, which that's just one piece. So that's the lowest level, You're making sure they have computer and, and have, um, internet access. So for Modesto City, because we're in the city and not rural, I do know that a number of my neighbors are really challenged with the rural aspect mm -hmm. of it. Fortunately, we're able to um, uh, work with that. The other piece that we're doing, because we know that the achievement gap is real, and there's some kids that regardless, um, if they have internet and computer, they're still not accessing. Um, we went out to our principals two weeks ago and said, identify the kids that despite all of your efforts, it's like, you know, knocking on the door and calling and, and going in, they're just not coming. Um, mm -hmm. So beginning today, we're working at um, establishing learning hubs. It's like a learning pod. So each of the schools by the end of this week will have learning hubs really made up of homeless, foster youth, EL, special ed, those kids that are our most vulnerable. Is it where we want to be? No, but it's at least it's getting, it's, we're able to, to grab some of them. 
Yeah. Uh, Superintendent O'Farrell, I want to ask you the same question, but I you know, note that, you know, my daughter happened to be in Girl Scouts and one of the, she did one of her projects, I think it was for Silver Star. I can't keep the stars straight, but I think it was Silver Star, was uh, she built a robotics table for a school district in a poor part of the community because, and she went down and she said, Dad, I, I, I was surprised to see how they, you know, the students didn't have, you know, the shoes were and whatever. She was surprised by it because she hadn't seen it. I wanted her to see that, that not everybody has the ability, the access to technology that she has. Um, what do you see with Clo in Clovis Unified? Well, uh, like my colleague up there in Modesto, we have distributed uh, over 5,000 hotspots and 20,000 devices. And this is what I'll say is we look out there right now and every one of our kids has internet access and a device. But even with that, I, the digital divide is so much more than having access to the internet or having a computer. It's having support at home. It's having somebody, we're talking about kids, you know, somebody to help motivate our kids. Um, and that's why I feel like the piece about, you know, not having co-curricular engagement activities, you know, they, the, the, the philosophy of education is to have those pieces in place so that kids are motivated. So I think that the divide is less about the digital and more about uh, socioeconomic status. So, you know, we have a lot of kids whose parents can't be beside them and helping them or, or can't, can't help them with that uh, asynchronous assignment. So for us, we're doing the same. Uh, we're bringing back those small cohorts of um, of students who are most at risk, whether it's our special education students, our EL, foster youth, homeless. Uh, we're looking at our seniors who are in danger of non-grad. We're looking at um, uh, after-school programs. So we're, we're, we're looking right now at the, probably the week of uh, September 21st here, bringing back those small cohorts at our school sites so that we can really mitigate the learning loss for our kids who are most at risk. And so this is what I'll say, it's not just about having a computer. It's having that, school is about those relationships with those adults who invest in our kids and, and give them hope and, and give them, build their confidence. And that's the piece we're missing in online. That's very hard to do for our teachers. Well, let me let me ask uh, Superintendent Ravlin with uh, Visalia Unified. I mean, you can talk about the digital divide and, and it, good point uh, that Superintendent O'Farrell is making. I mean, if I didn't have my wife and daughter to tell me how to turn on the computer, I think I'd be in big trouble. So if you don't have someone with those tactical skills, that, that certainly is, is a challenge. But what about, you know, you know, education has been exploring online instruction as a way to deliver uh, education more efficiently and effectively uh, for some time, you know, deliver more at a lower cost. But it appears that the COVID-19 pandemic has really accelerated its use as we've been discussing. What do you see as the future for distance learning at, uh, at Visalia Unified? Well, I think we're probably at a tipping point um, in which educators can see the potential of using technology for that routine type of instruction. However, we're social beings. People want to be with a group. They want to be accepted and interact and create with others. And so we're always going to need spaces for dialogue and coming together to be creative, whether it's participating in sports or um, visual and performing arts. Th those are things that we need to be around other people. So while I see an increase in technology and some of our students thriving, um, I don't see traditional education going away at all, just being enhanced. Having said that, I would say that we need to offer more options for our students. There are some students who are thriving, much more so in a digital environment, 
And so we need to look at creating more options for them to do that. You know, I was thinking, you know, I, I ran track and cross country in high school. I'm thinking now there is a non-contact sport. You know, everybody should be running track and cross country. And then we have no problem. It gets your extracurricular activity. You get your, you get your exercise. <laughs> no problem. Everybody wear a mask. Um, so let me ask uh, Superintendent Noguchi uh, with Modesto Unified, what, what, do you, what do you see as the, the future for distance learning in K-12? You know, I would agree with what, what's been said. I don't think we're going to go back to where we were last February, where um, it, 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 what digital, digital learning really wasn't part of the curriculum. I think that there's going to be a blend. I also see a lot of opportunity. For instance, um, at one of our high schools, we were I'm doing the master schedule, and there were eight kids that signed up for AP uh, physics. Well, eight kids isn't going to constitute a whole class, but we were able to get other kids from other schools to be able to enroll in this class. And so I see as we move forward that we're actually going to be able to have more opportunities for, for courses and so actually have more um, opportunities for kids to take those upper upper level classes. The other piece to this is, well, yes, this is, we're talking about teachers and students, the parent component, I've seen a lot of advantages and engaging um, opportunities to bring parents in because they're trying to be partners and they need to learn how to access and support their kids. So, you know, we've, we've held forums with 700, 900 parents, you know, asking questions and we're doing the best we can as far as answering it. But I think that we definitely are gonna be able to use the digital platform with engaging our parents moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, we've my wife and I have divided up the work, right? She's the science person. So she handles all the math and science. I hang, handle the English and, and, you know, the history stuff. So we got it all you know broken down pretty well here. So let me let me end uh, with uh, Superintendent O'Farrell at Clovis Unified. What do you see as the future for um, for distance learning in K-12? Yes, I would say that, uh, echo what both of my colleagues said, I think that we definitely now realize that there are multi a multitude of options. Options not only for our kids, but to engage our community. You know, we've held a, a several town hall meetings and we've been able to reach 3,000 people in a one, two-hour span of time. And it's been eye-opening that we can actually communicate in a more efficient manner than ever before. And similarly with our kids, you know, we have many kids who are thriving in this online platform. Uh, and to be able to maybe mix that online academic piece with some of the co-curricular pieces, there's, yes, there's a lot of potential and, and we're, we're seeing opportunities post-COVID for utilizing technology more so than ever before. Yeah, it's a brave new world for sure. Well, I'm going to thank uh, our guests, Superintendent O'Farrell with Clovis Unified, Superintendent Ravlin um, with uh, uh, Visalia Unified, and Superintendent Noguchi with Modesto Unified for that very interesting conversation. Up next, once the decision to move on to online education is made, someone has to be tasked with trying to deliver it in an effective and efficient manner. What if you were that person in a district with thousands of students and teachers? Our guests would our guests would know. He's Kurt Madden, the Chief Technology Officer at Fresno Unified. Welcome to Valley Views, Kurt. It's good to be here with you, Mark. So, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time, and you've always been a, a pretty positive fellow. Um, has the task you've been given to convert one of the state's largest school districts to online instruction virtually overnight dampened some of that enthusiasm? Maybe just a little. Yeah, you know the. The thing is, we've been planning on moving to kind of what they call one-to-one -one environment where every student has a device, whether it's a computer or a tablet. Every kid has, we've been planning on that for quite a while. But in fact, we had been stocking the schools with lots of computers 
But we expected to kind of move to that over five years instead of over five months. So when we made the decision last March to go online, and then in July to go online completely with all students in the fall, um, I don't know that I lost my enthusiasm. I don't think I had time for being enthusiastic or not, or optimistic or not. It was just kind of like a heads down, 73,000 students, 4,000 teachers, and we've got to connect them all. Wow. I mean, it's just, it just you think you step back and think about that. I have a hard time hooking up my own computer at home, much less what you're talking about. Um, so what you've been looking at here, some of the, the big technological challenges of moving forward to, to moving Fresno Unified to online instruction, what do you see as the, as the big challenges? No, part of the challenge that we're facing is that the whole world is involved in COVID and they're all going online. <clears throat> so we used to be able to order 10,000 computers and get them in two or three weeks. Now you order 10,000 computers or tablets or hotspots and it's a four to six months. There's a worldwide shortage on everything. You can't even buy keyboards uh, uh, very quickly. It takes, it takes time. So one of the big challenges we've had is just the supply chain. Um, but I think also uh, for us, it's more than the, just the technology. It's getting students and teachers used to the environment, right? Nobody really knew what Teams was before or Zoom or any of those types of things. And then all of a sudden, you're like kids are at home and teachers are there and you're trying to make this uh, connection. So beyond the access to the hardware is the fact that you've now shifted from this classroom environment, which everybody except for a pre-K student was used to, to suddenly an environment which nobody was used to and one that had all kinds of challenges. And so I think that, you know, the technology challenge was the fact that you had these new technologies that everybody had to use and you didn't have six months to prepare for it. You didn't have six months of training on this environment. It, it, it switched very quickly. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've been teaching for a few years myself and uh, I was always a little hesitant to get into distance learning. You know, think, well, it's not as good as in-person. Maybe that was my excuse to not really jump into it. And this is literally, it's like you're at the side of the pool and you said, do I jump in or not? And someone's behind you and they push you in. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're in the water now. You better learn how to swim. And you know, I think, yeah, I think this stuff is, I think most people wanted to get here. Let's, let's take a class online. Let's provide a class online. We just wanted a little more preparation. Well, yeah, and I think for all, frankly, there's some of us out here a bit of a bit of a Luddite and that is a little slow to take on new technology. It's funny. I keep getting, you know, the most my, my father-in-law used to send me, give me the most recent technological. He was into he was into tech, gave me the most recent technological gifts for Christmas. And they would sit on the shelf like for two years because I wasn't right ready to get there yet. And it's kind of like that with with distance learning. And so now you're pushed into it and you're you're doing it. I think there has have you found some hesitancy with some of the teachers like me that have been around for a while and said, you know, a little hesitant to, to make the change? You know, I think that there was probably a small group that was not hesitant, but I think the majority of folks, because it's a new environment, were kind of like, how is this going to work? How does, you know, if I have 30 students, what does that look like? But I'll tell you, I've seen some uh, teachers that are preschool teachers, and they've got eight 10 four-year-olds on the screen just try to picture that wow and you know but these teachers are like magic you know they just they can figure out how to gain those students attention 
they keep them there. Uh, you know, they'll say, hey, today's letter is C. I want you to go off in your house and, and in 10 minutes come back with something that starts with the letter C. Those kids take off and they come back and, you know, they're they're adapting to this environment. But yeah, there was hesitation. And you know, if, they, if you have, you, you know, you have a really smart kid, if they just simply hold up the, the keyboard to the student, to the teacher, every time they ask a letter, I got it right here. <laughs> Here's the letter C. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, the teachers are adapting, the students are adapting. And uh, like I said, it's, it's, you watch a, a, a good teacher do this stuff and it's just, it's like magic. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, you know, using the staying with the pool analogy, you know, when you first jump in it, the water's kind of cold, but yeah. then your body, you acclimate to it, right? And in some right. ways, it's the same thing here. You're acclimating the technology. So, you know, one of the things that's going on here is this, it seems to me like the genie really is out of the bottle when it comes to distance learning. There, there's been, you know, requests to move in that direction. Now we're forced to, you really have, have to do this. What do you see as the most significant technological actions that we can take to ensure that the digital divide helps close rather than widens the Valley's achievement gap? Well, I will say that, that there is one thing that has done a great job of closing that gap, and that is that all students have a device and they're able to use it at home. And when they come back to school, they'll be able to use it at school. Because if you think about it, prior to this, only high income students had a device at home that was there. Everybody else went home to either no computer or to a shared computer. So the fact that we now have 73,000 students instead of maybe 10,000 students that have a device, that is a significant equity play. That's a huge closing of that gap. Now, being able to then take advantage of that is the key deal. And we still have connectivity issues. I think that you know, families of two or three that have one hotspot or they're sharing the, the signal off of a, off of a cell phone, uh, that, that can be, you know, you're not getting the same kind of experience. But I will say just from a digital divide, there are now tens of thousands of students who when they're home have access to the educational resources of the world that did not have that before. Well, well, thanks, Kurt. I really appreciate this conversation. That was Kurt Madden, the Chief Technology Officer at Fresno Unified. I want to also thank our other guests, uh, Superintendent Ravlin with Vicel Unified, Superintendent Noguchi with Modesto Unified, and Superintendent O'Farrell with Clovis Unified. If you want to stay current with state and local politics, you can log on to our website at maddieandsuit.org. This is Mark Kepler for The Matter Report. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Maddie Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.